Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. The Culture Matters Podcast number 54. We have Trajan King as a guest for this into this episode. And Trajan King has worked and lived in six countries, speaks a handful of languages, and works for clients worldwide. He's consulted for Apple, Adobe, Yahoo, eBay, IBM, and others. He currently runs a membership community for entrepreneurs, which is called InvisibleStartup.com. After starting over 15 companies, running a couple of multi-million dollar companies, working on both Wall Street and Silicon Valley, he helps companies worldwide grow and earn more money. And isn't that what we all want? Earn more money. So the focus of this interview will be around the uh, the countries that he's visited and worked in and lived in and also about startups. So if you are a startup, make sure you listen to what Trajan has to say. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Trajan. How are you? I'm pretty awesome. How are you doing, Chris? Pretty awesome. That is so fantastic. I mean, only Americans can actually use that word <laughs> in, 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 a, in a way that actually con- conveys the awesomeness about the word awesome. <laughs> you know, right when it came out of my mouth, I thought, oh man, that's such an American thing to say. <laughs> exactly. Especially at 8 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's really awesome at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, but then you, you sort of, I mean, you, you mirror to some extent the British stiff upper lip, you know, it's always awesome and fantastic. And, and th- it doesn't make much of a difference, and it doesn't matter either, because 50% of the audience is in the United States, the rest is scattered around uh, outside of, uh, of the US. So we have a very broad audience that's listening to this, and half of the audience doesn't hear this because they're American, and the other half exactly does your reaction, like, oh, that's so American. Right, so I'm starting out with a strong stereotype for half the audience. Yeah, <laughs> Fantastic. But then again, it's, you can't help but be your culture. So um, just be yourself and, and I guess act natural. So Trajan, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Where are you now? And what would be your cultural frame of reference? Well, I uh, my if we go way back, my, my grandfather comes from Holland. So I've got a little bit of... Uh, of love for the Dutch and, and your people. And I, I grew up in Utah in the United States, and I've worked and lived in various places around the world. I worked in Brazil for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And most recently, I've been living in France uh, off and on for the last five years in, in Paris. And I really love French culture, and I speak a few languages. So I've got, I've been able to immerse myself in a few different cultures, and it's been a real great adventure for me. I, I can imagine. So Utah, you grew up, and how long were you in Brazil? I was there two years. Okay, and then five years in uh, in France or Paris. Right. Yeah, in France, and then I spent some time in in Rome. Yeah. I have a really a, a love for languages. I speak about a half a dozen languages, so- and <laughs> I uh, went to Rome for two months, t- two times, yeah. just to study take. Italian classes. So uh, I did that and have done that in Berlin. So I've lived a few different places around Europe and, uh, and in Brazil. So, I mean, what, what, what would be the handful of languages that you would speak then? 
So English a little bit, uh, <laughs> Portuguese because I lived there for two years, Spanish because I live in America, yeah, and uh, French, Italian, and Mandarin, and then I, I studied the I studied Swedish and Norwegian a little bit, but can't say I really speak it. Okay, but I can understand it. All right, that's uh, that's quite interesting, and, and I'm I'm struggling with my English. There's some there there's some American um, Americanism in your in you as well, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, Utah, if you know the United States, Utah alone is its own little culture uh, within mm-hmm. America. It's yeah. Like, Quite different than other places, no right. doubt. For the for the, I, I mean, Americans know this, and and a lot of other people know this as well. But there must be some people that might be wondering, like, why why is this so different? What what is the difference? How would you describe that difference to the the rest of the U.S. If you look at Utah, well, if you divide the U.S. into just West Coast, East Coast, they're they're even different. The West Coast is a lot larger. The the houses, the property is larger, just because there's more space out here. Yeah. And then Utah specifically was founded by pioneers who left what was then the United States uh-huh. in the in the mid 1800s to to start their own their own culture. So they it was founded by Mormon pioneers, the the Mormon religion. They left the United States because they were being persecuted and came to the Rocky Mountains because they thought that no one would bother them here. Mm. And so that that heritage of pioneers has grown a culture that's very independent. It's very, uh, with a strong uh, emphasis on self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And uh, so everybody, most of the people around here have food storage in their basements in case there's some kind of disaster or they're unemployed. unemployed. That's very common. Uh, a lot of people travel because Mormons go on um, missions. Yeah. So a lot of people uh, have been around the world and live places and Most of the state is bilingual or trilingual, um, and we've got a little bit bit of a hick accent because we're out here in the farmland. Okay, and and what you say uh, they speak more than one language. What language would they, would they speak then, other than English? Uh, all, all over. In fact, Utah is a is a big hub for international companies who uh-huh. have call centers here because the Mormon Church sends people around the world. For, to serve the church on missions, and so they could go anywhere in the world. So, so people speak all different languages here. So companies come here because most of the population is is buyer trilingual. Yep. You know, call centers hire people. Okay. This this about the Mormons I knew, and what I uh, what I also think that I know is that Utah is a dry state. In other words, that no alcohol is being sold. Yeah. Well, you can buy alcohol, but the The alcohol laws are kind of are kind of funny. Yeah. That it's uh, it's you can't. It's not sold in the stores. Like in when I was growing up, I went to California as a trip and went to the grocery store and there was a whole aisle of alcohol, <laughs> and it really surprised me. I thought, man, what what this is strange. They sell alcohol right here in the store. And in Utah, there's a separate a separate store that sells alcohol that's run run by the state. Okay. All right, I didn't know that. It's a, to some extent, it's even that's. I mean, so worlds apart, and then still so much the same. Is that in Utah, all you say alcohol is being sold by the state? Same holds true in the UAE. You can you can get mm-hmm. alcohol in five star hotels. You can't buy it in supermarkets, but if you have a, um, you need a pass for this. But then there are stores that sell alcohol uh, and only sell alcohol. So it's and and that's the Middle East. That's the United Arab Emirates. It's yeah, uh, it's very similar. Although the laws have. Lightened up a little bit in the last few years as Utah has become more 
multicultural. A lot mm-hmm. of people have moved to Utah because it's got a great economy, very low unemployment rate, very mm-hmm. solid uh, solid economic standing. So companies come here and a lot of people have moved in. So they've yeah. loosened up the laws a little bit. Sounds like we're promoting Utah here, but that's not the point here. Um, did you did you tell us where you are currently are? Uh, right now, I'm in Salt Lake City. Ah, Utah. you are you are in the, in in Utah itself. I am, yeah. Okay, and you've been um, so you speak English, uh, of obviously Portuguese, Spanish, French, uh, Italian, some Mandarin, and uh, a bit words here and there, Swedish and Norwegian. It's to some extent you could be called like an enlightened American. That's that's not my. <laughs> It's not my quote. It's a colleague of mine that sort of mentioned this. He was American and he lived outside of the States and he called himself an enlightened American for whatever that, that means. And out of these countries that you've lived in, um, including Italy and Brazil and France and, of course, the United States as well, what country do you enjoy most? I probably enjoy the the people of Brazil the most. Uh-huh. And and second, I'd say the Italians because they're just so friendly. Okay. And to maybe maybe do a comparison. Yeah. Is uh, in, in in France, especially in Paris, Parisians are great. They've got a, a rich uh, culture, which I really love. But they're not so friendly and open as other cultures. In the city of, of Paris. In the city of Paris, yeah. In the in the other cities, it's a little bit different. But for for example, Americans are known for for smiling a lot and saying hello and being really friendly, especially yeah. in the Western U.S. And the French think that's a little weird. And maybe maybe as a European, you think you might you might think that. As well, that that uh, the Americans smile too much, and you say hello, and they wonder why you're talking to them, because mm-hmm. uh, it's just a different a different thing. But in Brazil, everybody is so friendly and laid back and happy. Maybe it's the culture or the climate that affects the culture. But I really love that that they'll invite you into their home and without even knowing you, and they're very very accepting and very. Uh, very accepting of other other races and religions mm-hmm. to the point that it's a very distinct difference between the the U.S. and Brazil in regards to, for example, racism, mm-hmm. because it's such a mixed culture yeah. that that racism is not nearly as prevalent as it is here in the United States. Right. Okay. That's a, that's an interesting point you mentioned there. Yes, I I very much um, can uh, relate to this i we in the in europe i guess we call this american superficial superficialness if that's a word um mm-hmm. like you say hi when you're at, you're, you're passing a mall a shopping mall you're walking and you're sort of window shopping and all these there there are people standing there that welcome you and hi how are you doing and then it's like well you don't want to know how i'm doing it's that it's that's just the the sentence you say you that, right yeah it's not sincere it's courtesy and, and that's uh, and some europeans are totally confused when they when they that's being said to them because then they start a conversation like okay well how am i well, i woke up this morning and i had breakfast <laughs> and you know and, and this what well, well, that is not the purpose of the uh, hello how are you right i don't really want to know how you are no. I just want, <laughs> it's just a greeting right yes, so the exactly. contrary to that i've done experience experiments with this in europe because i'm so fascinated fascinated by it that uh, just recently when I was in Paris last month yeah. I was on a street that was a long a long narrow street and I was walking down the street and there was somebody coming coming toward me from the other street and there was nobody else on the street so mm-hmm. we had about 200 meters that we were walking toward each other yeah. and I watched the person the whole time the 200 meters because I was just kind of curious I watched them to see if they would look at me yeah. And I was the only person on the street and I was going to walk right past them within a foot. Yeah. And I watched them the whole time to see if they would they look at me, say hi or anything because it's kind of awkward. May I make eye contact. 
make eye contact, and and they didn't. And I find that so fascinating <laughs> that I walked right past them and they didn't. They just looked straight ahead and didn't even glance over at me. Didn't smile. Didn't say hello. And in the United States, that would be yeah. You would kind of have to say hello. You'd be forced to because you're the only person on the street. Yeah, very much. Yeah, that's 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 comparable here uh, in in Belgium as well. When I do my jogging round, you know, you I have my my sort of fixed round more or less, and then you meet other people jogging as well. You pass each other like for like a two foot distance or three four. I mean, in a you have some. I look at these people because they are doing the same thing as I do, and I I sort of I'm ready to say like a, a nod or you know wave or something like that. And they just <laughs> stare straight through me or straight ahead. While in, and I know from jogging in the states as well, it's like hi, hi, hi. Right. No, so it's that's an interesting difference. And, and it can get a little bit exhausting after being in, in Europe for a while, yeah. coming back to the states, and everybody is saying hi to me. I think I kind of get where you're coming from. Like, just leave me alone. I'm just trying yeah. to jog. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who you are. Anyway, and it's not meant intentionally to hurt you or to be um, to be like bad bad mannered. Uh, I know that in in this this European part of the of the world. Yeah. And out of the countries, Trajan, that you uh, that you lived in, what was the most difficult country to adjust for you as an American? I would guess. I, I would say it would be again Brazil because uh-huh. that was the first country that I lived lived in for a long time, and I was kind of thrown into the into the culture. Yeah, and I had a little bit of culture shock. Brazil is kind of—it's it, a large country. It's the fifth largest country in the world, and it's got a lot of different parts. And I was put into the rural, uh, kind of the back, the backwater of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And I was working with all Brazilians and trying to improve my Portuguese. And and it was really hot. I was right on the equator. Mm-hmm. And Utah is—we ha- have a heavy winter here. Yeah which I, I was used to. So going in, and living in a 40 degrees every day was, was tough for me, the climate and then the culture, because it was all, all Portuguese and all different kinds of Brazilians. When we think Brazil, maybe Americans, we think, you know, the, the, the soccer guys, they're just have a little bit darker skin, but it's so diverse culturally mm-hmm. that you've got all sorts of different kind of people and races. And I, I remember one of my, uh, my, my first few weeks there, is one of the guys that I worked with, when I would say something he wouldn't like, he'd, he'd wag his finger in my face and say, do, do that sound, you know? I don't know if you can hear that on the screen. But yes. the, the same kind of thing that in the United States we do to babies. Okay, and, yeah. You, you know, we, we don't do that. We do, if, if a baby did something wrong, we wag our finger and say, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. And he was doing that to me, and it was so aggravating <laughs> because I thought he was treating me like a baby. Yeah. And until I realized that that's, that's a cultural difference. That's yeah. something that's normal to them to wag to wag the finger, yeah. and and so it was learning all those cultural differences that that was tough for me yeah. at, at the beginning. It's it's uh, yeah. That's, I mean, it's this. We can talk about this for um, for hours as well, which we're not going to do um, <laughs> because <laughs> in the introduction, I've uh, I've also told the audience that you've you've worked for some big companies. You've um, started like fifteen companies, running a couple of multi million dollar companies. Were they uh, all American, or did you work with those companies internationally as well? Uh, both, okay. both. I, I started my career actually working for a, for. A, a German company, Deutsche Bank, yeah. in the United States, in Manhattan, yeah. um, in investment banking. So I, I saw a little bit of German there, but it was mostly American. And then I worked 
for a consulting company in Silicon Valley, working for big American multinationals. Mm-hmm. And then in Brazil, I worked with the Brazilian banks a lot. Okay. So I worked with several of the large banks and uh, saw how they operated, how the, the difference between those those banks operated versus United States companies that I've been working for. Could you, could you like enlighten us with an example or uh, a story or something that like this happened here, that happened there? Probably one of the biggest differences in the banking system in, in, in Brazil and Brazil culture in general versus the United States or Germans especially yeah. is the idea of time, the, the punctuality differences. The Germans are obviously very, very good at being on time. The Americans probably almost as well. And the Brazilians, it's, very, it's a very fluid thing. Mm-hmm. If you've got an appointment and you set it for 10 o'clock, then they may or may not be there at 10 o'clock or may or may not be ready for you at 10 o'clock yep. when you show up for the meeting. So that's a little bit difficult to, to adjust to, uh, being a very punctual, mm. from a very punctual culture, yep. is, is that different different view of how quickly business works. So like in Silicon Valley, where I worked, everything was very accelerated. If you were given an assignment, you were expected to do it pretty much immediately. There were no deadlines that were months out or or even weeks out, everything was very, is very fast in the startup culture and in, in Silicon Valley especially. But in Brazil, the deadlines are very much more stretched out or relaxed if there even, even is a deadline. Right. Yep. It's, it's a lot more fluid and, and, and uh, relaxed. That makes good sense. Um, you, have, you seem to have, at least from, from the profiles that I've found f- uh, from you, uh, online, that is, that's LinkedIn and your own um, website, I guess it's invisiblestartup.com. It, and it, what is your interest with startups? What's, what's with that? Is that a hype or is that a, like a, um, a deep interest from you? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a deep interest because I, I love business and co- uh, economies are driven by startups and small business more than, more than large business. They provide jobs for people. They provide a foundation for, for an economy and it's what draws me to startups is being able to think of an idea or, th- or see a problem. You know, when we see problems every day in our life, most people think, yeah, somebody should, somebody should solve that. Somebody should find, find a solution or invent a product that, yeah. can, that can make my life easier. And then we go about our day. But it's the entrepreneurs who actually do that and risk that. And mm-hmm. I've always admired, admired the people that are starting the businesses. So that's what's drawn me to uh, to starting my own companies and working with startups now with my with my company Invincible Startup, uh-huh. and then when I was working in Silicon Valley, I, I saw firsthand how people have started this, these companies who have really changed the world. Would you say um, this? I, I'm trying to. I'm stuttering a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. So pretty straightforward. Would you think that every startup is international or eventually goes international nowadays? That's a really interesting question. And I would say yes, because it's so easy nowadays. It's so easy to, like, you're, you're in, in, uh, in Europe and I'm in the United States, and it wasn't really that difficult for us to, to set this up and communicate with each other. Uh-huh. I think for one of the, that's one of the risks for startups is, is not focusing enough, because there are a lot of startups that could do very well and make things a lot simpler for themselves 
if they just stuck to their local area, at least for uh, at first. And it's so easy to try to do business around the world that it it's tempting to get unfocused yeah. unnecessarily too soon. Now, the big advantage that you have, you as in, in plural in the United States as a country, is, is that of, although there are differences within the United States, it is relatively more, by far more homogeneous than it is in, in Europe, I would think, um, or, sure. or Asia, if it only wasn't for the language. You know, we've got this Euro thing here going on, more or less, um, for now at least, and, but there's still there's the language difficulty still there. Would you think that the United States would have a, a, an advantage when it comes to startups um, as opposed to, so I'll say, just the rest of the world? I think so because of because we're such a big market, mm-hmm. um, similar to how China is a big market and everybody wants to be in China. But but China is not as homogeneous as the United States linguistically, culturally. Uh-huh. There are a lot of differences, even though it's it's one big country. But you know, the United States, the language is is pretty much all the same. The culture is very similar. It's easy to get around with. Uh, with our highway system and, and planes and whatever. So, and all the regulations are pretty much the same. Yeah. There's little difference state to state, but it's pretty much the same. Um, so, so American entrepreneurs have a good advantage that if they just try to stick in their country, you can, you can do great business without going anywhere, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit different. Even in, in Europe, there's some different language barriers and taxes and, and, and law, yes, and regulations and stuff. Laws and regulations. Yeah. And I think, I think one big difference between countries is how much, how much the countries have really focused on trying to make it easy for entrepreneurs to start a business. Mm. For example, when I was living in Paris, I was talking to the owner of my apartment who owns several restaurants. Yeah. And he, we were comparing notes about how difficult or, or easy it is to start a business. And in Paris, he had to, just to get a business license, he, it took him six months. He had to fill out a lot of paperwork, get a letter of recommendation, get a letter, uh, an endorsement from his bank. And even then, and he was about 40 years old and had several restaurants already, even then his bank had his, required that his father co-sign for him <laughs> on the bank. And so versus the United States, I can go online and pay $52 and get a get my business registered in about 20 minutes. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think those differences really, and, it, and it's because I live in a culture that supports entrepreneurship, whereas in France, it's kind of a newer thing, just kind of emerging. Yeah. There's a, there's a website out there, um, uh, many websites. This one is called doingbusiness.org, doingbusiness.org. And they, uh, they rank the countries in the world in, on, according to how easy it is to do business. And hmm. as you were just explaining this, I just pull, quickly pulled that up. Guess, any idea what number one is? In other words, the easiest country to do business in? Let's see. Uh, I would say the U.S. isn't number one. No. It's close. Singapore is number one. So, oh, okay. Yeah, Singapore. I was going to say Hong Kong, maybe. Yeah, something like that. So that's, that's Hong Kong is number five. UK is six, and the United States is number seven. Um, and then I'm scrolling down. I'm doing doing this live during the interview, and that's <laughs> sorry, Trayton. That's, not, that's <laughs> but, not what you what you came here for. France is number twenty seven. Just to give you an idea on 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 how true your story really is. Yeah, I, be, I would believe that. Yeah. Um, back back to startups in general. What do you think? What would, what are the biggest challenges that startups are facing, in your experience? Hmm, the, well, there there are some advantages. What we've talked about that it's cheaper and it's easier to get things going. 
but I think it's easier to get distracted. There's a lot of competition. Even if you these days, if you're working online, even if you've got a very unique idea, mm-hmm. you start a company and then you, you realize that there are other people around the world doing it because it is so easy to start a company. So the competition is really is really fierce and it's it's harder and harder to stand out yeah. to yeah. to get noticed because the because you can, people can do business worldwide. Uh, you do business all over the all over the world. So uh, they're probably I mean you've got a pretty unique niche so it might be different for you but if you're like have an e-commerce store you could have people ordering stuff from me all over uh-huh. and the search engine can be your enemy or your your friend. That's true. Because uh, somebody if you're selling shirts, for example, that somebody Google shirts and they've got an infinite, nearly options of websites that they can visit and they can compare prices and their apps that compare prices for them and it's it's it, it's very competitive and very fast moving. That's probably the biggest disadvantage. Yeah. It makes makes good sense when you mention it like this. It's is. Could you sort of uh, summarize this, of maybe from your own experience, or preferably from your own experience, looking at American startups? If they eventually go, say, to Europe or Asia, what what are what things should they keep in mind? Well, the number one thing I would say is that they sh- they shouldn't just be expecting to expand into Asia or Europe. Uh-huh. Uh, one example is e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, eBay and Amazon have had a tough time expanding into into Europe because yeah. because Europeans aren't so open to the idea of ordering online and having things delivered to their doorstep. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that has really caught on there like it has in the United States. And maybe that's because of the of the distances people in the U.S. in the Western U.S. in particular don't want to drive around all these stores because they're far away. Uh-huh. And in Europe, it's easier to just walk down the street and get what you want at a store, uh, especially if you live in a big city. That's my that's kind of my my guess, but it hasn't caught on. And so I think that they expanded into Europe, and they expected that it would just just be like expanding into another state or another city in the United States. Yes, and it hasn't it hasn't turned out that way? Yeah, that's true. It, that's I, th- I think this is one of the. the one of the things if you want and I think in any case if you want to expand to Europe then the UK would be the first stepping stone to sort of land on um, <laughs> although it's different it's still similar I mean the language is the same so that's a that's a big help for sure I guess um, and still Americans they go to Europe they don't go to Netherlands they don't go to France they go they they are in they Europe is still seen as one one country really um, and by, by far it isn't I mean if you've been following right. the news lately how how Europe is dealing with with well the monetary crisis with the um, uh, uh, all the people coming in and, and and from you know from the Middle East and and all these hotspots in the world it's and we're dealing with it in such a different way and I think that's such a misunderstanding that Americans look at Europe as being one um, I think it's even better to look at China as being one than to look at Europe as being one so, yeah I think the European Union is is great but it, it's a kind of a misnomer it kind of gives Americans and maybe the rest of the world a different impression about yep. what, what Europe really is. Very much. Uh, another example, I think, business-wise, is, is Starbucks. Starbucks, they're on, they're on every corner about in the world, uh-huh. except they're not in Italy, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And I think that, that, that probably is, is a roadblock that they, they've found. To my knowledge, they've never even tried to open in Italy because it, Italians love their own coffee, and yeah. they probably 
they probably just realized we're not even going to try to open it in Italy. Yeah. And I've heard the CEO say that eventually they're going to go into Italy. But it's interesting that they're around the world, but they're not anywhere. They don't have one single store in Italy. I never realized that. And it's, it's, that is particularly interesting because Howard Schultz, I mean, he actually, he, he went to Italy and it got the idea from this whole, whole created this coffee cult from actually mm-hmm. spending time in Italy. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, we talked somewhat about cultural factors um, when it comes to national cultural differences like the United States versus Europe or Italy or France. Would you, when it comes to startups back again, do you think that um, if a startup is organizing itself in one country, say the United States, then you start building an organizational culture? Uh, so that's the stuff how that's how you do things. Do you think it should be adapted as well when you go overseas? Either to Europe or to South America, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And even in different parts of the United States, I think there's a different culture that you have to be aware of. Okay, explain, please. Well, for example, having lived in New York, I know that the culture there is is very is very different. You've got a great website, a great page on your website that's uh, the business etiquettes, do's and don'ts. Uh huh. Thank you. That that talks about how the whether you do a handshake or you bow and how you give your business card and what the dress code is. Yeah. And if I'm comparing, say, the West Coast of the U.S. to the East Coast, if you're in New York, you're most likely going to be wearing a suit and tie when you're doing business. Uh-huh. It's much more, much more formal. You're using business cards. You're shaking hands. And in California, for example, you're like in Silicon Valley when I worked there, they told me that if I showed up wearing a suit and tie, everybody was going to think I was one of the lawyers. <laughs> And I was working at tech companies. Yeah. So at a tech company, you don't wear a suit and tie like you do at an investment bank in New York. Mm. It's, a, it's a different dress code. It's a different. It's more more laid back. The hours are different. They're better in in California than they are in New York. Mm. So if you're if you're opening an office there, then you've got to know what the difference is because you could be that guy that shows up in a suit and tie, handing out your business card, wondering why everybody's giving you a, a weird look. Yeah. Absolutely. When it comes to lawyers, for sure. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, Trajan, what is what is your next de- destination? I mean, you're you're back from Paris because um, that's I think we first met. I mean, this is virtually meeting in um, when I think you were still living in Paris and you had a nice picture with your your feet on I don't know a table or something overlooking some of the rooftops of Paris. All right. Yeah. And actually, I was thinking maybe you're, you're still there. So, what is your yeah, next I just destination? Came back a few weeks ago. Okay. And so, so what, what is your next destination? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at doing some, some work in Asia. In Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love Asia. I've been there a few times, but I haven't really lived there like I have in Europe. Uh-huh. And uh, so, like you, I'm location independent. I can work, work anywhere. Uh-huh. I've worked around South America and Europe. So, I'd like to go um, somewhere in Asia. Probably that's on the docket for 2016. <laughs> All right, that sounds sounds really interesting. And really, and, and I mean, typically in winter in Utah right now, I can imagine that at least you're daydreaming on the, uh, about this. <laughs> it's a little cold, so I'm I'm daydreaming of the the beaches in Thailand as I watch the snowfall outside. Okay, fantastic. All right, great. It's uh, the last question. I uh, last two questions I always ask every guest is that uh, the first one, the first of the last one is: Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent from your own experience? Oh, that's that's a very interesting question. I think 
it, it would all center around trying to uh, meet people from other cultures and taking a, a, a special interest in in other countries, which I think is more and more important for Americans. We've traditionally been kind of isolationist in that respect, but taking an interest in other cultures and looking like we we're talking about the the Middle East and their difficulties is not just watching the news and as absorbing what we hear on the news, but taking a step and trying to look beyond the news and understand why people in other countries act the way they do, why they have the views mm -hmm. that they do and where that comes from, I think goes a long way in understanding cultures and understanding people in general. And then, and then beyond that, secondly, I would say learning a little bit of the language. Mm -hmm. If you travel somewhere for business or even for vacation, and I think Americans are terrible at this, yeah. it's, it takes, takes some time to, to learn some phrases and some words in that language because, first of all, it g gives you a greater understanding of their, of their culture and their language. But if you just say a few things to somebody in their own culture, in their own language, mm -hmm. in their country, then I think they really appreciate it. And it goes a long way toward, toward forming a bond, especially if you're doing business, that it, it tells people in other countries, I respect you and your, com your culture enough that I took a few hours to learn some phrases. Yeah. and learn some of the history of your country other than just kind of passing through as a tourist to take some pictures so you can post them on Instagram. Yeah, that's, that sounds really, it sounds really stereotypical, but it's so spot on, I think. Um, do you have a third one or did we, do I, did we sort of combine all the, the, the three? Yeah, I kind of just, uh, I just kind of combined all those okay, three. Okay, fair enough. I'll split them up in, um, in, in three neat points there. Okay, great. Thanks. Last question is then, if people want to get in touch with you, and um, what would be the best way to do that for them? Well, it would be on my website, invinciblestartup.com. Mm -hmm. That's a, a community where I, where I network with entrepreneurs around the world. I've got courses on there, and, and I just I love talking to people. So if you want to talk to me there or at Twitter, at Trajan King is my handle. Okay. That'll be in the show notes of the uh, Culture Matters website. So, Trajan King, even with a... King is a very English kind of sound, na sounding name and still a Dutch roots. I wonder what the original was when you uh, when he arrived. Debray is my side of the family. My mom's... My grandfather's from... <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, which was, uh, I guess, used to be Debray. Yeah, that sounds a lot more Dutch than, uh, than King for sure. Yeah, King is definitely English. <laughs> Trajan, it's been an awesome interview. Thank you so much for um, for taking the time out of an early morning there in uh, in the uh, the cold state of Utah. And I'm pretty sure we'll talk to each other in the future. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, Chris. And I'm going to spend some time, uh, more time on your website. You've got some great stuff on your website here. Thank you very much. Take care then. All right. Ciao. Bye. Thanks again, Trajan. Nice and loose and unstructured interview, like you said afterwards when we paused the recording, as we both like them. Thanks again for taking the time, again, like I said, out of your early morning. This is the end of the Culture Matters podcast. If you like what I do with this podcast, then I would really appreciate if you could give me a rating in iTunes, Stitcher possibly as well, but iTunes uh, preferably, and uh, give me your honest opinion. And if it's a good one, of course, I'd appreciate those more then it uh, helps spread the word the word when it comes to this podcast thanks so much for listening i'll be back in two weeks time with yet another podcast take care till then bye bye that's it for this episode the culture matters podcast helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences